from Relay FM, this is Connected, episode 91. Today's show is brought to you by Text Expander from Smile. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm joined by Mr. Federico Vitici. Ciao, Federico. Ciao, Mike. And howdy, Mr. Stephen Hackett. Wow, I don't even know how to respond to that. You say howdy back. Howdy. There you go, perfect. Howdy, (laughs) y'all. It (sighs) doesn't sound convinced for some reason. Yeah, it's not really my thing. But let's just do the show. So we moved the show by a few days so we could uh, cover the Google I.O. keynote and all of the announcements that came out of there. Uh, But what this did was not really give us enough time to remind you that our T-shirts are on sale. So if you are listening on the 19th of May 2016, you have but merely a few hours <laughs> to left to buy t-shirts. Uh, they will go off sale today on the 19th of May. Uh, there is a link in our show notes if you want to buy a t-shirt. Thank you to everybody that did. Uh, and I hope that you're able to get them. I'm sorry if you can't. Um, you should follow us all on Twitter because we've been tweeting about it. So if you've yeah. missed out, then you need to pay pay more attention to our yes. Twitter timelines. <laughs> Mike is a is a good person to to follow on Twitter. He has a lot of good tweets. I have a lot of insight, and most of it's spelt incorrectly. So you've got that play <laughs> as well. You have a lot of good tweets and good typos. So it's yeah. it's part informational, part kind of comical. It's it's basically how I present myself all the time: part information, part entertainment. Yes. You know? Yes. That's what I'm all about. Yes. So it even follows through to my Twitter timeline. Uh, just a very quick piece of follow-up. It's also a piece of follow-out uh, to episode 27 of Under the Radar on Relay FM. Uh, you get to hear David Smith and Marco Arment have a great conversation about the benefits of fast app review based on what we were talking about last week. Uh, it definitely seems like the fast app review was not a blip. This seems like a new trend. I'm seeing yep. more and more people tweeting about it. I'm having more people tell me about how quickly that their apps are going through review. And this was a good kind of look at what fast app review could do, good and bad, for developers. Um, spoiler alert, it's more good. Go listen to episode yeah. 27 of Under the Radar. We were given uh, the, the full set of data by app review times, and uh, Graham put together a series of uh, charts for Mac stories. And you can clearly see uh, like the, the, there's a huge drop uh, lately in, the, in app review uh, times. And it's really, you know, it's really amazing to look at that and especially to get to 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 hear from developers saying this is such a huge change you know i i submit an app at like 10 a.m in the morning at 1 p.m is in review and at 3 p.m is approved like that's a major change like it's fundamental right like it it's not just like oh this is quicker this fundamentally changes the way that people can develop applications yeah it is a massive step change that if this is the way it works now is going to make some big and sweeping changes um, across uh, iOS development which is excellent Um, and I hope that it remains so we'll see initially I had the concern that uh, maybe Apple was just approving everything and then asking questions later like let's approve everything and then if something is wrong we can we can uh, reject apps at the later stage but it doesn't seem that way because i've seen developers say i submitted an app but app review got back to me with actual feedback and questions about a feature or maybe you know uh, notes about a about a bug or a crash and they were able to do so with an actual human being if 
because they were looking at the actual app. So it's not like uh, app review is fast now. And I've seen a few people make this joke. App review is so fast because there's really no one looking at submissions anymore. Apple just approves everything. Doesn't seem to be the case because they're getting back to developers quick, you know, quickly with uh, questions and, and notes about crashes and bugs, which uh, I assume can only come from actual reviewers looking at the, at the apps. So that's, uh, that's great news. Definitely seems to be more people. I feel like what they're, they're doing is, I don't know, something along the lines of more intelligent computer, like data-driven acceptance, Probably. right? Along with an increase in people. Yeah. It feels like there has to be both of those things, and I don't know how you could do it without both of them. Right? Like, it just feels like that's how it, that, the only way that they could do this. I wonder, I wonder if this becomes part of WWDC announcements. I feel like it kind of has to, but we'll see. Yeah, kind of ramping up for WWC and say, by the way, we've been testing this for, imagine Phil Schiller on stage, I've been testing this for a month and I really like it. That would be, that would be really nice. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I agree. It seems to be the case. We'll see. All right. So we're going to talk about Google I.O. today. Um, the hmm. Google I.O. keynote was yesterday as we record this on, uh, it was Wednesday the 18th. Uh, Google had a bunch of stuff, and we're going to talk through some of the things that we find the most interesting. But one of the first points, I think, of note is the venue for Google I.O. this year. So a lot of Google I.O. is happening kind of in and around Google's campus and the kind of surrounding property. And the I.O. keynote was at the Shoreline Amphitheater, which is an Mm -hmm. outdoor music festival located basically immediately behind Google's campus. So they put I.O. on there, and they had like 7,000 people, I think, in the audience. Um, And it looked like a rock concert, which was really weird. Yes. Um, But I bet it felt really cool. Like, I bet it had a really interesting and exciting feeling to it. I mean, I bet it's going to WWDC is going to feel like that too, because they're doing it at a music venue, right? Yes. You know, like the watch event, the watch event was at Bill Graham, right? Yes. And it looked strange, right? They had like those boxes along the side walls and stuff. It looked like a music venue. But being outside is a whole different thing. The problem that Google probably couldn't have foreseen is that there currently is a heat wave in that part of San Francisco. And I think temperatures were around 90 degrees and not everybody was in the shade. What's that uh, in, uh, in actual uh, degrees? Uh, like? I think it's like high 30s or something. Let's see. 90 Fahrenheit to Celsius. Hey, Siri, what's 90 degrees Fahrenheit in Celsius? I don't understand what you mean. Well, 32 degrees. Okay, thank you, Siri. That's hot. Yeah. That's hot. <laughs> Quite a bit. <laughs> yes. And I saw they they gave out uh, sunscreen <laughs> to attendees at uh, the Google I.O. which they was also a- had a little pack that came with like a scarf you could put on your head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, what oh, are you really? going to do, right? Like, you wanted to do it in a, in a different venue, and it's hot and sunny. Like, you know, I, I kind of feel like you can't really criticize them so much. It's like, what are you going to do? Like, it's a heat wave. Like, you can't you can't stop that. Well, it's California, so at least you don't have to worry about it raining. But um, it is interesting. It's, you know, Apple's run into it, too, where, like, they're just not venues indoors large enough for the, the people that they need to, to have... Yep. In attendance, I mean, what what can, what else can you do except go to some big outdoor, you know, stadium like this? 
so uh, this is this was an interesting view. Yasmin Evian, who is one of the hosts of Material on Relay FM, she tweeted. Um, outdoors is a fun twist for tech conferences, but standing in the sun for an hour to get into a session is bad. Like, and she she yeah. was tweeting it later on that like she missed the session because it was full, then had to wait outside in the sun for like another ninety minutes or something to get into the next session. Like that's not great, right? Like it's like that's uncomfortable, uh, and, and I don't really I don't really know what you do, but it's like that's kind of the situation. But mentioning Yasmin, uh, material recorded. At Google. That's and, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, their episode, I think, will maybe be coming out sometime today. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes to the material podcast. Go and subscribe. Like, they're going to have a better take on this than us, for sure. But, like, yeah, I just... Can you imagine us recording at Apple? Never going to happen. <laughs> but, right? uh, yes, I could imagine that. But it's, it's never going <laughs> to happen. But they recorded at Google. So Well, I mean, we could uh, we could sit on the curb and record with the portable microphone just oh, outside of Infinite Loop. I, I'm sure I read something recently that like, if you stand outside on the sign for too long, there's like a security guard Re- will come no, and like, no. shuffle you away. Could we sit in the car and drive around the loop and record like a power slide power sliding uh, around uh, the the campus i think we should give it a go i have one of those like uh, <laughs> i have one of those little microphones you can plug into a lightning port so in theory we're recording from apple but yep. just you know we're circling the the campus <laughs> I, I feel like they maybe got a better deal than we did <laughs> yeah i think so it um <laughs> Yeah, I, I, the one thing I saw some people on Twitter had it. Uh, there's like there's these big exhibits because it's all outdoors, right? You can just do whatever you want. There's like a robot that's painting a giant rotating cube by like flinging paint at it, yep. which is the most Google thing ever. Uh, also, I kind of want one to put in my yard, but um, I think they have the drive the self driving cars like kind of buzzing around too. Yeah, just mowing people over. Yep, um, it's fine. No, it's 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 new, and I think it's exciting. And uh, my guess is that they, Google will probably continue to do this, but yep. I think I would expect some tweaks to it uh, as they sort of work out the kinks of. Uh, well, because what you've done in this scenario is you've created a festival, which is a great kind of idea. Like they've created, they've turned Google I/O into a developer festival rather than a conference. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I hope that they continue to go down that route because that sounds like. Like you're you're going there to learn stuff. You're going there to find out information. But why not make it fun as well, right? Rather than everybody just being inside of a conference center all day, right? Yeah. yeah. Initially, I thought uh, the idea of a keynote outside uh, was also in conjunction with something related to like uh, augmented reality or something in the sky. I don't know. You know, like drones or Project Loon yeah. <laughs> flying yeah, yeah. by. I thought uh, I thought about that, but it didn't seem to be the case it seemed purely just they wanted a bigger venue and it was the one that made the most sense to them because it's right outside yeah exactly exactly yeah. i mean this is the company that had people skydive onto the roof yeah. of Moscow and yeah. wearing google glass so i can see where you where you got that federico that was awesome yeah. man i know a lot of people incredible. didn't like that but like as far as product demos go it's a pretty good product demo yeah the, <laughs> the closest one in the apple world is when they introduced uh like airport wireless networking <laughs> and they jumped off the, the yeah platform. <laughs> so they had phil schiller like on a scaffold and he had ibook <laughs> and he they had a accelerometer attached to it and they were sending data from it across the wireless network and he jumped like 15 feet onto this big mattress and um 
it's a really fun. We'll dig that up and find it, put it in the show notes. But it, it's a really like funny little moment of like weird uh, stuff. But I, I think that stuff is important to like get people excited, right? Like the going to WWC feels like a conference, and th- that's fine. Um, and clearly, people are excited. They're like fist pump guys, ready to go. But mm-hmm. I agree with you, Mike. I like the idea that the atmosphere could be different, and that like taking something like um, uh, IO or WBC and giving people like more freedom to mill about and interact with people and be in a different environment can lead to some really interesting things just between developers communicating. So uh, I think they'll. The, my guess is they'll continue to do this, but um, I, I don't see Apple doing it anytime soon. But no. I think it would be fun for Apple to to change things up sometimes too. Yeah, I mean, certainly skydiving is better than the Anki toy cars that we got at WWC oh, a few God. years back. Oh, why did you bring that <laughs> up? I mean, I know that we we talk about the uh, the music presentation as like a bad. Oh, that was worse. But that the Anki worse. cars was worse in its own way because it meant nothing. It was no reason for it, and it was at the start of what was a fantastic WWC presentation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Very peculiar. Very, very peculiar. We're just watching and going like, why are you showing this? And why is it not working even? It it was kind of weird. It was horrific. All right, so let's talk about what was happening here. So one of the big kind of prevailing things that went throughout Google's keynote was something that they're calling the Google Assistant, Mm -hmm. which seems to be like the big brother of Google now. And it seems like what Google have done is they're taking... Everything that they've learned from machine learning and from all of the speech stuff that they do and all the queries that they have to run, and they're turning it into an assistant, something that you can have an ongoing two-way dialogue with. And they're building some of this stuff in now, and they were showing a lot of stuff where that what they wanted the future of it to look like, you know, and like mm-hmm. um, Sundar Pichai, who I love, like just that uh, guy is so cool. Anyway, uh, he was basically showing that like you could have a conversation around booking some theater tickets, like movie tickets, with it. So you'd say, like, what's on tonight? And it will show you some stuff and be like, I want th- something that's family-friendly, and it will refine it. Then you say, it will say, oh, what about Jungle Book? And you'll say, is that movie good? And then it'll be like, here's some reviews. It seems like people like it. And, and Google's saying, this is all stuff that they can get, but they're like building it out now to the point where you can have this sort of conversation with it. And one of the things that they really focus on, and rightly so because they do it well now, is is questions around context. And this is in Google Now in the new Android and beta anyway. You, you can do it where you can ask it a question and then ask it a follow-on question. Should I give it a go? Yes. All right. So give me a person like uh, – hang on. Let me try this. Okay, Google. Who is the Prime Minister of the United... Oh, it, it stopped. Hang on. I am running a beta here. <laughs> Drag, come this on. Is... Okay, Google. Who is the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom? David Cameron is the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. Okay, Google. How old is he? He's 49 years old. That's what they can do. Huh, yeah. Right, okay. now... I know it was the demo was a bit wonky, but whatever. Like that, the the context and the follow-on questions is something Google can understand because what it was doing was looking at the page. So remember that Google Now on Tap thing, mm-hmm. where basically yes. it will look at what's on the page and make suggestions to you. That's what I believe it's doing there. Is I have the David Cameron Google page open at that point, 
and it's seeing who's on the page and understanding the questions. Siri can't do this stuff. Like, no. it, mm-hmm. uh, follow on questions just seem to throw it through a loop. Like, you know, like if you set a timer and ask it to stop the timer, it's like, I can set a timer. It's like, no, you, what are you doing? Like, do you want me to kill you? Uh, this is the sort of stuff that Google's able to do, and this is the sort of stuff that they're starting to build. And it seems like eventually this Google Assistant will be with you everywhere. And then the rest of the – a lot a lot of the following on chunks of the keynote have Google Assistant as a core part of what mm-hmm. is going on. It seems to me uh, that the Google Assistant is a combination of Google Now, Voice Search, Google Now on tap. You know, it's a bunch of things taken together using the same technology. But obviously, Google is sort of jumping onto the the chatbot trend. It's like the ultimate chatbot, right? Yes, it's like a conversational experience. You can text uh, the Google Assistant in the new, uh, uh, what do you say, Allo, Allo, Allo yeah, we'll app. Uh, you can text uh, the Assistant, and it seems like they're sort of uh, going after the trend, but they, when they say, we believe we have the best technology and we're ahead of you know any competitor, I tend to believe that. And it's interesting to me, however, that... Uh, not even in this case with the Google Assistant, we're not seeing the ability yet to combine multiple commands together. For example, I've always wanted to be able to say, uh, turn off my lights and turn on the coffee maker. You know, it's two different commands. And it seems that any assistant is still not capable of doing that uh, yeah. because right now they're focusing on context, which makes sense. You know, before uh, getting onto multiple commands, you want to nail down the context portion which i think it's you know it makes sense uh still the demo from from google from the assistant is impressive especially when you consider that the they're already con, you know working on a developer platform interestingly there's going to be uh you know a bunch of partners uh already working with the google assistant and with the google home which we're going to talk about shortly um what do you what do you guys think of uh google getting into this space uh i thought it was uh, it was interesting you know to kind of see that uh, approach uh, with the, with the assistant and with the Google Home, saying uh, we want to thank you know the team of Amazon and uh, we're working on these features. <laughs> it's so yeah. different. I mean, I think it's the the natural evolution of Google's technology. Google, like say Google Now, um, is really great and can do a bunch of good stuff, but it is locked away on iOS behind an app or on Android in a couple different places, but you have to go to it, right? Or if you're on a desktop, you have to go to the browser to go do it. So Google is, is, is locked away sort of in its own area. And what this is doing is putting it where you are more directly. So if you have it sitting on your kitchen counter, you just yell at it. Or if you have it uh, in your chat app, you can just talk to it directly. And they are trying to integrate it more kind of out. Yeah in the real world. And uh, I think that's the, like the Amazon echo has shown that that's the next step for a lot of this stuff is that, you know, I can set a timer on my phone or my watch, but I have to interact with them both to do that. Right. I have to touch them uh, because I have a whole telephone turned off because it only trips when I listen to podcasts, but with something on the counter, I can just yell at it and it's always listening and it does a better job anyway. So I think, I think Google's just moving into that space, and I think it's completely reasonable, and I think it's where all this stuff, maybe not Apple, we can get to that, but I think that's where these other companies are definitely headed Mm -hmm. to in a hurry. I think at this point, uh, Siri is starting to feel really 
you know, uh, backwards, really antiquated, if you will. Uh, I mean, the fact that uh, Google and others can handle context better, they, you know, they have assistance or they will have assistance that you can text. Uh, you can have conversations uh, without having to, you know, talk out loud in public. And the fact that there's a integration with services, you know, from any developer can plug into these technologies. I think Siri is starting to feel a lot like uh, a limited version of this idea that Apple had a few years ago and hasn't really improved meaningfully. I mean, Siri, you can make the argument uh, that uh, Siri supports more languages and it can handle native tasks better. I don't know. Um, but it seems to me like Apple's idea of uh, privacy and we don't want to use machine learning too much to understand what our users do. It seems like we're starting to see the practical counter effects of that policy, which is Google, Amazon, to an extent Microsoft, uh, Facebook, they're going be beyond what Siri can do. And, I, and I'm not sure if Apple can catch up, not because necessarily because of engineers and technology, but because of their own ideals. And I think that's a big problem. Yeah. I mean, I think that quite a few things that are going to come across in this conversation today is for me that Google is kind of winning a lot of this stuff. And as an Apple user, I am concerned that I don't think Apple can do some of this stuff. And are we going to start missing out? So one of the biggest parts of this is Google Home. So this is basically Google's Echo competitor. Um, mm -hmm. It'll be available later this year. I would expect internationally... Um, and it seems like they may be announcing it now to try and get ahead of any potential competition. They want to show that they're in the game here, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, everything's controlled by voice. It looks, for me, to me, way nicer than the Echo. It's yes. much smaller, and you can customize it. Um, like, you can... Different finishes and different colors and stuff like yep. that. Um, so I think it looks more akin to something you would have in your house than the echo does which looks like this kind of terrifying tube of death Speaker. or something yeah, yes it's just it looks i don't know the the echo looks super intimidating to me it looks like the 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 jeff bezos version of the eye of sauron from the lord of the rings i can see that yeah. uh, the google home will do a lot of the stuff that you're used to uh, with these types of things like the echo uh, like it will play music uh, it will connect with home automation products mm -hmm. including nest products of course there will be an api they flat out said that they're going to have an api uh it will do something that i really like you can hook it up to google chromecasts so you can like plug chromecasts and chromecast audios into devices in your home and you can say things like play music in the front room and it yep, will do yeah. that and i think that's super smart that's something too that amazon seems primed to be able to do if you have the Echo and the Fire TV stick. And as far as I know, they don't talk to each other. Um, but I can see Amazon being just at the at the cusp of doing this sort of stuff as well, where you have a smart speaker always listening and it can control media on other devices. Mm -hmm. um, Sonos does a little bit of that, right, with their all their connected stuff, but it seems like uh, Amazon could, could do this as well. They had a, a demo video that they showed, which was amazing. Like, it was just so good. My, one of my favorite things is like um, a, a lady's getting dressed, she's getting ready for the day, and she just says like, "Okay, Google, I'm listening." Oops, there we go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, it based then the, the the home just told her everything that was happening in the day, 
and things that might be an issue. So she was mm. like, oh, you've got a meeting at this point, but there's traffic on the road. Do you want to do anything? She's like, oh, text Mary and tell her that I'll be late. Like it was a really good kind of way of doing it. And then obviously they had the cute stuff with the kid asking questions. But they had like um, the dad's getting trying to wake everybody up. And he's like playing music in every room of the house <laughs> as a way to like wake everyone up. The, the demo video was really great. Um, and I think that this product is going to be cool. And this, I'm going to wait to see what happens, but I probably will get this over an Echo just because I think that Google has more ability to do this better. I think it has a stronger underpinning and a longer history of dealing with voice commands. Um, and I think that there's going to be, depending on what their API looks like, stronger and deeper integrations with companies and services. Part of the problem of all of this is it really works better when you're all in on a platform. Like having mm. an Android phone will obviously make this whole thing better. And this is where I start to think that we're going to get left in the dust a little bit as Apple users because I just can't see Siri home product. I just don't see it happening. It just doesn't feel like that's something that we're going to see even in the next six months or so. Like I just don't see it. You know, I don't know uh, about uh, what you say if as iPhone users we're going to miss out. Uh, because, I mean, the, the primary interface of this is going to be voice. And Chromecast, you can buy one and you can configure one from, from an iOS device. Uh, the integration with third-party services doesn't matter if you use an iPhone or an Android phone. You can plug in sure. Spotify, you know, other apps. No, no, it's, it's a good point. Like, but I, I just feel like, so there are things like where he asks for something and he's like, can you send that to my phone? And you just know that's yeah. not going to be as nice. It's going to be locked inside of a Google app. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's going to be some limitations, but I feel like it's going to be, you know, like 80% of the experience that you would otherwise get on, a, on an Android phone. But yeah. what matters is that you're putting Google into your home and you're, you know, even from an iPhone, you're plugged into a Google ecosystem. You're not plugged into an iCloud or Siri ecosystem, you know, and that is starting to be a big problem for Apple to have, you know, clearly there has to be improvements to Siri and to open up Siri. If Apple believes that, you know, voice especially inside the home, you know, because we've, we've seen it doesn't really work in public, especially inside the home. It's just more natural, more conversational, but that only gets better if you can collect more data and if you can, you know, uh, open up an ecosystem for developers to build upon. And, and I feel like when you, when you consider the Amazon Echo and Google, Google is maybe the best representation of the principle that there's no data like more data. And <laughs> Google has lots of them. And I, I also agree with you when you say that maybe Google is better positioned to tackle this in the future, you know, because they've been doing this for a long time. And I mean, Google has built their own, has built their own uh, TPUs, the tensor processing units. It's basically like TensorFlow is the Google system for machine learning and such an AI, and they have built their own, <laughs> instead of a CPU or a GPU, a TPU, which they've been using it in, a, in a data center for over a year, which is crazy. They're, Google is going all in on AI, machine learning, to power these consumer products, such as the Assistant on a phone and the Google Home speaker thing. Um, so I feel like there's a lot of potential here. And for different... Uh, aspects of normal life because in the end it it boils down to what can you do with this thing in normal life 
So I see a bunch of uh, openings, uh, such as, you know, there's potential for a Sonos-like setup uh, when you consider the Chromecast and playing audio in different parts of the house. Yep. Uh, that could be possible. You know, you just need to buy a Chromecast audio and plug it into any kind of speaker, any kind of sound Which bar. are like $30. They're, they're not expensive. Exactly. There's uh, integration with developers. If you look at the Google Home uh, partnership uh, slide, you can see Spotify, you know, not, ju- not just Google Music, which is kind of sucks, but you can also do Spotify. Uh, WhatsApp, that's interesting. I've seen WhatsApp, so Facebook is apparently working with Google to bring WhatsApp messaging to, to Google Home, which is intriguing to me. And I feel like um, there's a, what the Amazon Echo started, maybe Google can perfect you know, and can grow into a bigger platform. And I'm really, I would love to be a fly on the wall uh, inside of uh, Apple's office in Cupertino and see what they think of the idea of a Siri device inside of the house. Because obviously people don't like using Siri in public because it's just dumb. You cannot, I've, I've seen people talking to Siri in public and it's just awkward and you cannot text Siri. So that's a big problem. And the best place to use Siri is when you're walking around the house or when you're driving. But when you're inside the house, what are the chances you're constantly walking with the phone in your hands? I mean, I do use my phone inside my house, but, you know, I'm also doing house stuff. And it would really be more convenient to be able to, you know, I'm not saying to yell at Siri, but to kind of talk normally to talk normally and anyone can talk and anyone can ask questions and i and i think the amazon echo and maybe in the future the google home those are the kind of devices that you don't really get until you try them but once you do and i'm primarily talking out of experience with the amazon echo once you do they really click and they make sense at Mm -hmm. least that's what happened to me well i think apple's answer to that is the apple watch like why would you have something locked away in your kitchen when you're in the bedroom you have your watch on just hit the button and talk to your watch, right? I think they're trying to do the same type of things. And you look at like the basic stuff of you can do iMessage, you can do HomeKit stuff if your you know, your home stuff supports that. Like they're trying to do the same thing, but instead of it being a cylinder on the counter, it's something that's strapped to your wrist all the time, no matter where you are. You can be in the backyard and do it. I, I don't know which one is right. I know between my Apple Watch and my Echo that I use the Echo way more. For, especially for voice stuff, so maybe the maybe the cylinder a speaker design works better for me at least. But I think Apple's already kind of putting Siri everywhere we are, just in a in a different way. Yeah, I don't know. I I know I'm excited about this product though. Like I I don't I don't feel like I just don't feel like the Apple Watch is going to be the product that can do something that this can, and it's like based on like microphone technology. You know, these these things, these home listening devices are full of microphones mm-hmm. where the watch I don't think is as good because it doesn't do a great job of picking up what I'm asking it to do. But I understand and agree with what you're saying, Stephen, that I think that is the ideal of what Apple's looking for. But yeah. I don't think that they've achieved it. You know, yeah. I don't. Uh, by saying that I'm that I'm excited about Google and what Amazon are doing, I don't. I'm not saying that that Apple is doomed when it comes to Siri and the uh, Assistant stuff. I'm just saying that Apple has to make some necessary steps to improve what they have. So there are some obvious limitations. I would say three of them. You cannot text Siri. You cannot have a real conversation with 
real follow-up questions, and there's no developer platform. These are the three key pillars upon which I think Apple should improve Siri. And if they do, and if they can come up with a system to collect data without being creepy, without actually knowing all the things they don't want to know, so taking a different approach than Google, I don't know how, but there's, there must be some technical compromise they can make. I think they have a chance. Because uh, especially, you know, on iOS, uh, there can be a different approach. Uh, iOS has a richer app ecosystem and Siri on iOS could have a richer app integration than, you know, Amazon doesn't uh, can only talk to web services and Google doesn't have the same rich native app ecosystem as iOS. So Apple can take a different approach, but there's some fundamentals that they need to improve. And I think those three key features are what I'd like to see for Siri at WWDC. But I don't know. Yeah, and and I think I mean you touched on it a second ago, but the like the philosophical difference between the two companies has never been clearer to me when when looking at this sort of stuff. And yeah. I am I mean all three of us use Google services. Our business runs on the back of Google Apps. Like, um, I've got no problem with with Google's supposed privacy. My whole photo library is in Google Photos. Like, I'm a Google user. But there is this, you know, this thread, at least in parts of the the nerd community, that you know Google is creepier, Google is spying on you, and like, I, I just think that's a lot of baloney. But mm-hmm. but there is a difference, right, between the two companies. And Apple, one reason Siri is limited in what it can do is that Apple hasn't opened it up. And even when you're on your device, Siri doesn't have all like the access that something that that like something like the Google Assistant would have yeah. because. Yeah. You know, they're not looking in your iCloud account for a bunch of stuff. You know, if like uh, if you signed into Google uh, on the web and you have an Amazon receipt in your inbox and you search for like, oh, like, uh, you know, I bought this camera or whatever, like it shows a little link to that message in the Google results. Like Google can do all that stuff because yes. they're, they're not afraid to break those walls down. And Apple is. And and I'm not saying which one is right or which one I prefer. I'm, I'm going to sidestep all that. But there is a clear difference. And for something like an assistant that knows everything about your digital life, who can do everything a real assistant can do, right? They can handle messaging. They can handle uh, invitations to your calendar and sending uh, notices to people. All that stuff, that requires a level of access that Apple doesn't grant itself to its user data. And so how could Siri ever catch up? How could how could a Siri home assistant yeah. or Siri being better in iOS, it, it just can't do that stuff because of those those boundaries and that is something that if, if that's the decision that Apple stands by and there's no reason to believe they're going to change their mind on that then we as iOS users and as, as people in the Apple ecosystem just need to understand that there's some things out there that we can't use you know like like I I use Gmail for my personal email address but all my contacts and calendars are in iCloud because I share a lot of this stuff with my family members and that just means that I can't tell the echo to add something to my Google calendar because my calendar is an iCloud and you just have to know where those boundaries are. And if you're living in a mixed platform environment, knowing that you're going to hit broken things because of decisions made from like a political and philosophical level, mm-hmm. you know, ultimately it comes down to uh, trading convenience and utility for an idea. Uh, and you got to choose, you know, uh, there's Google people, let's say, let's call it Google people, they believe in convenience and utility, and I and I can see why. Uh, you know, because when I opened the Google app, 
and on the front page there's a, a little box that tells me you know your your uh, Amazon Echo has shipped and your your uh, Nintendo game is on the way because they look into my email inbox and because they parse that and they show me a photo and they show me a tracking link and they save me time I can say okay that's convenient that's useful but uh, there's Apple people that say you know we don't want to look at your stuff we don't want to do any smart processing we don't we don't want your data and so it's two different camps and uh, Personally, I, I, when I see what can be done with Google and when I see what cannot be done with Siri, uh, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I say, you know, I miss this stuff. And uh, I use the Google app on, on iOS, but it's still a limited experience. Now, um, you know, iOS has, iOS has a stronger, I believe, has a stronger app ecosystem. Uh, the, the kind of innovation that you see on the App Store for the iPhone, for the iPad, and even to an extent for the Apple Watch, I'm going to say. Um, I don't think you can get that on Android. And I think Apple has a real opportunity to integrate Siri with apps. Maybe there can be some local processing they can do. And I believe they do that for proactive recommendations, which are not great. But maybe there's a way to build upon that. And I think Apple has a real chance to leverage all these amazing apps on iOS and to, you know, to improve Siri in ways that are not creepy, to work with developers and to say, we can make our own assistant, we can make it different, and it can still be useful, you know? And if you want, you can still use the Google apps on iOS, and you can still get 70%, 80% of the advantages of, 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 of the benefits of Android. Uh, and you can get it on iOS because there's a, you know, Google can make iOS apps. Um, so I don't know what's it going to be, you know? Mm, I would like to see those basic improvements to Siri. And I, and I feel like at this point, we're seeing the direction the industry is going for the next few years. So AI, machine learning, uh, having text conversations with bots, having assistants inside the house, virtual reality, but that's another topic. I feel like these are going to be the next, uh, I know as, as Steve Jobs said, uh, the next horses you want to bet on. You know, uh, the technologies that are on the rise. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what Apple does. But today, even if you look at something like Gboard, you know, the Google keyboard, uh, the, the auto corrections are way better than the Apple keyboard. And that's because they use machine learning. Uh, but, you know, the compromise, it's a custom keyboard. It doesn't really work well on iOS. <laughs> so that's where we're at today. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. That this wasn't all that Google announced. Um, they announced some other interesting stuff and some other weird stuff. But let's take a break to thank Smile for sponsoring this week's episode. And I want to talk to you about the new text expander, which is simply indispensable. Imagine never having to type the same email address, that chunk of code, the slogan that you use, marketing copy directions, frequently used phrases, or anything. Just anything that you type. Imagine never having to type that data more than one time. With Text Expander, you can store anything as a snippet and activate them by a shortcut that you create. So for example, I quite frequently need to put dates on things, but I need to put them in the US date format, which sometimes just escapes my brain. So I type UUSD and the US date format of the current date will pop up onto my screen. Text Expander allows you to store any of this stuff and help you save your most precious resource time. 
You can harness the power of fill-in-the-blank snippets to customize common responses. Instead, you have an email that you send quite frequently, but you need to change the name of the recipient. Maybe you need to paste in some additional information. You can do this with Text Expander. I do this quite a lot. I send out some emails to people where I just need to change a couple of things. So I have some drop-downs that I can choose from, and then I usually need to paste a piece of information in. So I have Text Expander put my cursor in the exact point where I need to then paste something. That is super powerful. I use it multiple times a week. It really is fantastic. Text Expander includes apps for the Mac, iPhone, iPad, and now Windows, which is currently in beta. So no matter where you are, you'll have all of your snippets on all of your devices at all times. Text Expander Lifehacker subscriptions cost $40 per year and include all of the apps and the Text Expander sharing service as well. And there are discounts available for registered and previous Text Expander users. You can now also get team subscriptions. These include organized focused snippet management so you can make sure that everything is lovely and organized amongst your teams. Uh, you can have detailed access control, consolidated billing, and so much more. Boost your productivity and learn more at smilesoftware.com slash connected. Thank you so much to Smile for their support of this show. All right, so Google also announced a new messaging app, which I don't think anybody expected, called <laughs> Allo, which mm. I love the name, right? Allo. That's how I should call it, but won't. Um, so this was something else that they announced, which was Surprising, I think. Uh, I don't think that anybody was really expecting that this was something that we were going to see from them, another messaging app, especially when this isn't replacing anything. Actually, in the MacStories uh, Slack the day before, uh, our uh, credit to Jake, he said, uh, I believe Google is going to do some messaging and music stuff. And sure enough, we saw the speaker and we saw the the messaging app. So, you know. Some people saw it coming, but it's probably just Jake. So, but they, I don't think. Jake. I think the idea <laughs> of them creating a messaging service that doesn't replace and just is in conjunction with a messaging service that they already oh, had yeah. is a is a very peculiar thing. Like six of them at this point. How many does Google have? I think they they have they have two now. Once this comes mm. out, so the way that Google is presenting this is a smart messaging service that has all of the richness of Google within inside your Messenger application. It has stickers, it has emojis, it has something called Whisper Shout, where I thought this was kind of cute. Most people think this is ridiculous. So you can type something uh, into the text field and you can hold on to the send button and you can increase the text size or decrease the text size by moving your finger up and down. So it's like, yeah. imagine you want to shout something or whisper something. I think this is kind of cute. Uh, I kind of liked it. I think it's a really good interaction. Uh, yeah. I saw people making fun of it. They're like, oh, it's just a text size. Yes, but the way that you rethink it on a mobile device, that's what makes sense. And yep. I think it's it's really it's really well done. Instead of being like desktop controls for font sizes, which is what these people were making fun of, it's a slider and it makes it bigger or smaller. It's a really fun interaction from a design perspective. Yeah. Because I, I think so. Uh, smart replies... So we've seen this stuff before, but they're, again, using their learning to create smart replies. Uh, They will learn your frequently used emoji and stickers and will present those as smart replies that you can tap. Uh, They're using their machine learning on photos so it can understand what's in an image and suggest smart replies for you. So, like, for example, they had a picture of a dog and it would be like, oh, that's a really nice breed of dog. 
right? Um, it can also do stuff like read what's in the message and suggest things. So say somebody says to you, like, do you want to go out to eat tonight? The Google uh, Assistant will suggest restaurants that are located near you. They know your preferences. Uh, then you can all live in the messaging application, find out information about the restaurant, and then book it through something like OpenTable. So you don't ever need to leave the chat to Google something. Google is within the chat. Uh, they're going to have an API to allow companies to integrate. And as Federico was mentioning earlier, you can also at Google to call the Google Assistant in to any chat. And you can also have one-on-one -on -one chats. So you can use the Google Assistant, bring in images, videos. You can even play games with it. Um, I love that they gave some time to incognito chats. It just seemed like a funny thing to put up on stage. Uh, disappearing messages and expiring conversations, end-to-end uh, -end encryption, and discrete notifications for any incognito chat that mm. you have. I love the way that uh, that Americans say incognito because it's so different to me. Uh, it's an Italian incognito. Ah, uh, of course you would. Silent G. Yeah, yeah. That's so much nicer. But uh, it's just funny to me. Like I know why you do it. We all know why it's there. But like. I don't know. It's just a funny thing to put up on stage, right? Like those yeah. secret conversations that you like to have with people that maybe you shouldn't, we're building a feature for that, right? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. All right, cool. Uh, my thing about all this is all of this looks really good. So yeah. when I look at something like uh, quite frequently, me and Federico have moved all of our conversations to Telegram and Telegram mm -hmm. is a really nice chat service. I use WhatsApp for people in my family. This looks like it has all of the stuff that I'm used to and some really interesting extra stuff. But why would I leave my current messaging service? Yeah. And how do I get everyone in my life to exactly. move to? <laughs> exactly. Uh, it's the same problem with uh, any chat service that is not Facebook Messenger or WhatsApp or iMessage. How do you convince people? Um, Google is obviously betting on these smart features. I don't know if those are enough to explain playing to people and to to show them the benefit and it looks really good to me from a design perspective from a technology perspective but i do get the feeling that it's one of those you know i call them silicon valley features you know uh, it's these people live the perfect lives and they text each other about restaurants and they can look up restaurants nearby and they can book reservations with open table and they can book an uber and they can go around and you know use all of these smart so services and apps uh, real life is kind of messier than that outside of silicon valley and even in rome uh, i i wouldn't imagine like I would say 70% of these features they wouldn't be possible in Italy right now. So how do you you know how do you explain to people that you you should switch to this service uh, because in theory it looks great, you know the demo looks great, uh, you can see all these integrations but doesn't really work in the real world? Uh, I don't know. Um, is that enough to convince people to switch because of smart replies and suggested stickers and emoji and because it tells you that it's a really cute dog? I mean, by the way, all dogs are cute. I think. Um, so anyway, I think it looks fantastic. I'm just not sure if in practice it's enough to get people to move over. Yeah, that is. I agree with you. Like in a perfect world, these things look great, but maybe it works really well. I mean, I know how often I will be talking to somebody and then go Google something, right? Like I will go and Google something, look for an answer for something during the conversation. It'd be nice if I didn't do that. Like you keep it on the yeah. one application. Um, they are using phone numbers for sign up, like something mm -hmm. like WhatsApp and Telegram does. I wonder yeah. how that's going to work, um, and it's going to be cross-platform iOS and Android. Like, I wonder if they're going to do, you know, some services like WhatsApp. They're like very much locked into the device that you're on. I wonder if they're going to have like an iPad application that you can use as well. That's 
that will be key for them to do that. Like, okay, you sign in with your phone number, but you should still be able to get the messages wherever you want to get them. So we'll see mm-hmm. how that turns out. I mean, that's that's one of the things that creates iMessage lock-in, right? That I can be on my iPad or my Mac or my phone and just just talk to people. Yeah. I don't I don't have to worry about where I left off on another device. Um but but I agree with you guys. I mean, the the cost of switching is like the problem with with the, all of these messaging apps and you know, maybe Google will solve some of these problems and and it'll show up on the web and show up other places. I mean, this is clearly, you know, step 1. But the the most curious thing to me is like uh, like we talked about with um the platform services thing with the uh Google Home like we're starting to see that now in in messaging stuff so is it are we going to live in a world where like if i need to do something i need to be in facebook messenger or uh, you know oh i'm talking with you over here and i can't look up this piece of information like becoming increasingly fragmented uh even in something like chat apps seems uh, problematic and, and kind of a pain to keep up with. But I'm not, for one, I'm not s- super convinced that I want, um, and not Google, I mean, I'll say this with Facebook as well, that I want like robots in my chat to go do things for me. Like <laughs> I, I've not been proven, it's not been proven to me that that, that utility is worth it yet. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, a lot of people are betting big on this, right? Microsoft's doing it in Skype, like lots of people are doing uh, bots like that's the thing all of a sudden so i guess we can thank slack right guess it seems to be where it started yeah uh, along with allo is a video calling app called duo mm-hmm. um, duo is also android and ios and will be when they both come out in the summer there's a few things that google are focusing on here performing well on bad networks is something that they're really trying to focus on they have something called knock knock which I think is interesting. So this is a feature where when the phone call, when the video call is coming in before you answer it, you see the person. So you can see what they're doing. You can see where they are. Um, I think that this is kind of nice. And what the way that they're setting up, and they have a cute video for it, of, of course, but the thinking for me is video calls are still really weird to receive. If I receive a video call from someone... I'm a little bit like, what is why Why are they calling me on video yeah. right now? Did they do this by accident? Like, what's happening? If you can see someone is in a specific location, you can see that someone's with their child and they want to say, hey, you know, they show stuff like there's like a girl who's showing her engagement ring, right? Like, if you can kind of get a bit of context as to why the video call is coming in, I think it yes. takes away some of the barriers of making the calls because you, as a person initiating the call as well, are able to give contacts before the person has to commit to showing their own face. I actually yep. think that this helps break down the barrier a little bit. I, I think it's a really nice feature. I think it, it it's very nice. I think it makes sense to kind of flip it the other way around. Um and in also from a technical standpoint, it seems like the implementation is solid. Like uh, you you see the preview, then you swipe up, and it's like there's no transition. It's seamless, you know, going from the preview, from the live preview to the actual video calling. But there's just one point that I want to make, and that is with the current uh, implementation of uh, something like FaceTime, when you receive a video call, the the big preview on the screen goes to the front camera, and it shows your face, usually, before you take the video call. And I think Apple does that, and I think other companies do that, because it's sort of like looking in the mirror before taking the video call, so you can see mm-hmm. how you look before you respond. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. 
you know and if you don't have the preview maybe you know it's just a small thing that you lose being able to kind of check your face or check where you're actually at before I'm not, you i don't commit. remember off the top of my head i'll see if i can try and find it if there is any kind of video preview on that screen still i th- i think there's like a little like a round uh, yeah, avatar to my memory in like the bottom left hand corner or something there was but it's still really small really like small a, yeah but it's there but yeah i, get, I get your point yeah uh, i think there's a a counterpoint to all of that is my phone is on my desk and I have someone sitting at my desk or I'm in a meeting and my phone's out and you know someone wants to <laughs> video chat with me in a way that I don't want shared. Yeah. Um then you look over at my phone, you know, Federico's sitting next to me and you look over and you know, Mike is <laughs> yes. naked on my phone. Um But the thing is, I understand what you're saying, but Does he do that? Uh, maybe. It puts someone else in charge of what shows up on my display, and that is a little weird. Mm. Yeah, I, 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 yes, I understand that, but I, I feel like in most scenarios, that if someone's going to call you with something that you wouldn't want the world to see, most of the time someone's going to check with you before they make that call. Yeah, exactly. Hey, can I can I video call you? Yeah, because right, I know what you're thinking of, right? Like if we just if we just say like. Um, uh, interesting times, we'll call it, for the time being. <laughs> if someone is calling you for interesting times, I would assume in most scenarios, somebody is going to either know like, not to call you at 2 o'clock in the afternoon on a work day. They're just going to text you beforehand. And we'll probably just clear <laughs> with you in the first scenario that interesting times are able to occur within the current parameters of location. Oh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm sure. But, you know, it's just, it's just something to consider. And... um I had the thought, and it was kind of mean, so I kind of feel bad for even sharing it. That like, uh, you know, made people working on this like that didn't even cross their mind. Like, and I, oh, it there's lots of upside did. to it. If the same company is also talking about creating incognito chats with discrete notifications, they're thinking about interesting times. Yeah, but uh, so it's it's just something to consider. My guess is maybe there'll be a toggle. If, uh, if people don't want it there, but uh, I think it is a an ingenious solution to the awkward problem of video calling yeah, yeah there's a there's trade-offs and this is one of them steven has a point he says i don't want other people to decide what goes up on my screen so yeah. there should probably be a toggle you know you know well, maybe it, it would be, it'd be better if you have an apple device because it won't be able to show up on your screen you'll get a notification first right so on android i assume being android there's going to be an option when i'm at the office change how duo <laughs> works <laughs> you know you, you know? make a joke but yeah probably there's going to be some way to do that the cross platformness though right mm-hmm. it's that, huge yeah i mean skype exists uh there's a one begins with a v exists uh, but the idea of I can't remember the name, but like the idea of a Wait, what did you say? One that begins with a V. There, there is a video <laughs> calling service that begins with a V that I can't remember the name of. Uh, but there is one that exists, but I, I can't. Oh, remember no, let's it. see. Let's see. Google video calling with a V. Yeah, that's not going to help you. But anyway, uh, I you know. I think something that is probably going to be installed on everybody else's device that's not an Apple user, right? Like, that's a good thing. Like, it's there. All you then need to do is download it. There isn't something on the other end. You can't download the Android FaceTime app. Still waiting for that open source protocol to to come that Steve promised. 
Do you remember? Yeah, that's not going to happen. One day, man. No, I'm holding on. Like, you know, why would you lie? I think it's because of a lawsuit or some kind with the the parents, you know. Not going to happen. Yeah, sure. I'm I'm sure that was the reason. Uh, I, you know, we'll see what happens here. Uh, It's more messaging services. Uh, That's the problem for me when it comes to Google. Uh, They do these services. They look good initially. Then they launch them. People don't switch. They forget about them. They leave them on on the App Store for years and months, you know, and they don't receive updates and eventually the world forgets about them and they unveil a new one. That's what they've done in the past. You know, Google Chat, Hangouts, uh, Google Plus, um, what's the name? Messaging, Messenger. Um, you know, they've done like four or five of them yep. at this point. They don't. They, I don't have a lot of faith. And again, it's just even setting aside Google's uh, track record, it's just a problem of practicality, of convincing people. Why should I switch from WhatsApp and Facebook and Messenger and, you know, this other iMessage, for example? Especially when you consider that this year WhatsApp is going to finally uh, monetizing their platform with some kind of bot system. So you can talk to hotels, you can talk to restaurants, you can talk to, you know, flight companies uh, for your ticket and that kind of stuff. So it's going to be a platform war, but not in the sense of choosing your messaging service, in the sense of what can you do? with other platforms inside of your messaging app. And that's going to be interesting. And again, I wonder if Apple is paying attention because it seems like any major messaging service on earth that people are actually using, lots of people are actually using, are going to be doing this kind of stuff. iMessage, not so much. So I don't know. I don't want to see iMessage becoming the service that you use to receive confirmation codes for web services, you know? I I don't care about iMessage going cross platform like that is not something that that I really need or desire like cuz the text messages are also in the same application what I do want to see is iMessage getting a lot of the stuff that you spoke about in your iOS 10 thing yeah. I want to see it just become a a messaging service that is aware that the internet exists because yes. right now it's not <laughs> like it's like the internet doesn't That's- exist outside of the blue bubble it's really glorified SMS right now. It's yeah. just fancier, uh, just a little fancier and free. That's really iMessage. The, the, the whole proposition is free and what? Well, you can share, um, I don't know, video and pictures. That's it. Uh, you can make groups. Um, it's really the same iMessage as we, as we saw in, uh, you know, with iOS 5 back in the Scott Forsell mm-hmm. days. May he rest in peace. Uh, well, he's not dead. So. Well, yeah. I think it may be rest in Broadway. I think that's his thing now. He's, uh, he's having fun in Broadway. That's right. So, yeah, we'll see. All right, Android N. Let's, let's breeze okay. through some of this stuff because it's stuff that we've heard before. Uh, they are saying that they want the world to suggest the name, but this seems like total BS. Yeah, that's not uh, really true. It's just a marketing thing. Yeah, they know the name. Um there's like I saw somebody tweet a an image to the, like the terms and conditions, which basically so I'll read it. it. Says this is solely intended to be for entertainment purposes. The names you submit will not be judged, and there will be no prizes or compensation awarded to any participant. So okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the name should be, and, and I'm gonna say with the Italian version, Android Nutella. Yeah, I think that's probably where they're going to end up going. Um, do you guys say Nutella or N- Nutella? What, Nutella? What do you say? Nutella. Nutella. Okay. Yeah. I think that might be what they end up doing. Um, 
maybe they're struggling to get the uh, licensing arrangement. <laughs> yeah, we- that's why they now have this thing. Yeah, I I th- I thought initially that they might be looking to break outside of the candy names, hence the suggestions. You know, I like something like Android Nebula. You know, it just sounds cool. <laughs> Nebula, uh, wow. <laughs> but, but I assume that they're still going to go down the candy route, and then it's probably just going to end up being Nutella. Maybe what they're trying to do is prove to the Nutella people, I think it's Nestle again, that so many people want them to call it <laughs> Nutella, right? So they're like, look, we have millions of people that said Nutella. Or maybe they can they can do, they can play the card of, look at all these great names we can choose, in theory, yeah. but we really want to make you guys a favor and we want to use Nutella. <laughs> yeah, do us, do us a favor. <laughs> yeah. um, Android had some significant performance updates. They have graphical improvements uh, via something called Vulcan, which seems a lot like Metal on the face of it, from from my understanding. You know, like digging more into the GPU and, and, and harnessing that power. Uh, stronger security, file-based, and full-disk encryption. They talked about something called seamless updates, which to me seems kind of genius. They've borrowed this from Chromebooks. Basically, all uh, installations of Android N have two installs on the device, and updates are downloaded and installed automatically on the not-in-use version of the operating system, and then the next time that you turn your phone on, they switch around. So then you have mm. the updated version. Mm. It just seems genius, right? Like it, so, so basically they're saying that Android devices now will stay up to date automatically, which I think that oh. that is a really smart system. That it just mm. happens in the background on a mirrored version of the OS and then they just swap around. Yeah, I think if Apple is going to do that, people are going to find all kinds of ways to use it for jailbreaking. Yeah, probably. Uh, but, I mean, talking about updates, I'm terrified to update my iPad right now, right? There's all these, ru- these stories of 9.3.2 oh, breaking yeah. the 9.7-inch iPad. Oh, yeah. I saw that. I saw that. So, like, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, <laughs> should probably wait for now. Yeah, I'm I'm just d- dismissing the, uh, uh, the, 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 up- the update prompt. Yeah. It's just like, no, go away. I'll put a link to a Forbes article. But, by the way... No, I'm not going to put a link to a Forbes article because Forbes has the worst website on the entire planet. Um, <laughs> I will find somebody else. Look at you rumors. taking a stand. Good for Man, you, it's Mike. so bad. If you ever yes, visit, visited the Forbes website on a mobile device? Yes, uh, unfortunately, yes. It's like, who cares about layout? Oh, and you know that they used to, they, some researchers found out that uh, they used the, you know, the inspirational quote that they show you before loading an article? Uh, yep. Some people or maybe some companies behind the, the ad use that screen to inject malware in people's browsers. Yeah, of course they do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of course they do. Thanks, F- Forbes. Funny times at Forbes. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, so I think that's really cool. Uh, they have some productivity enhancements. So uh, I quite like this one. They remove infrequently used apps from the multitasking tray automatically so you don't have like an infinite list see i have many thoughts about that because people uh, both on android and ios people do that keep doing that all the time all my friends close all of their apps you know well i mean the the idea is like i I was uh, multitasking earlier and i have like 60 items in there which don't need to be there i only need like 10 right so that's one thing that they're doing so they're just automatically clearing things that you don't use they do have a clear all button which upsets mm-hmm. me, and I know upsets them to put in there, but they said, like, due to popular demand. It's like, people ask us for this button, so we just put the button in. If you close these apps on Android, do they also stop execution of tasks in the background? No, Or is it so. just, a, okay, so it's just a visibility thing? Yeah, it's getting rid of the multitasking tray. 
when you do that on iOS, you also stop the background refresh, I think, which is a you know the problem that uh, people say you shouldn't force quit your apps on iOS, and you shouldn't you know every time close the app. But I do get why it's important to have that feature because so many times you know apps have bugs, and the only way to get them to work again is to force quit them and start them up again. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think Apple will will ever remove the ability to force quit apps. And I see people say, you know, Apple should just disable people from doing that. And that's never going to happen. You know, no. it's never, ever going to happen because people need to be able to force quit software. But I, I say, like, I like the idea of having that tray cleared up a little bit. Yeah, I see. And I see that. I see that. It makes sense. Maybe it's time to, you know, uh, just make it a visibility thing on iOS also and not necessarily tied to background stuff. Ah, it's a, it's a tricky problem to solve. I don't know. Uh, double tapping the multitasking button will switch you to the previously used application. I like mm. that. So you be in Chrome, you uh, open messages, then you just double tap the multitasking button, you're back in Chrome again. This is nicer than covering the status bar. Yeah, it's like a physical command tab. Yeah. I think they said. Yeah, yeah, they do. Uh, they're bringing split screen and picture in picture, which is of great. Of course. Um, they are the first to support the 72 new emoji in Unicode 9. Yeah. Well, we're going to see that in iOS 10 or 10. Yeah, they just wanted to say we're first. And it's in the beta that's out now, so technically they are first, and there are some great ones in there. Um, I was sending them in our Slack today that nobody could see because I have my Android device, like avocado, (laughs) bacon, whiskey in a jar. They have a shrug in person. That's some great emoji. Oh, shrug in person? Yeah, it's shrug in person. That's going to be the best one this year. You use it all day, every day. Uh, They have improved notifications with quick replies and easy access to settings, which are quite like you can hold on the notification and say, stop telling me about this application for a while. It's kind of cool. Oh, nice. That should be a 3D touch feature on iOS. I agree completely. Well, there should be a 3D touch to clear all notifications, but hey, uh, one of the other big pillars of Android M, which was not previously announced, is virtual reality. So Google are building something mm. called Daydream. It's like the next kind of evolution from the uh, cardboard initiative. Uh, basically, Daydream is multiple things. It is baked in support for VR into Android. So they're putting it into the operating system. Um, they are going to be, and they have created a reference design for a headset and controller to be used, and they're also uh, releasing tools to developers to build great VR applications. They said that several phones are daydream ready for later on this year. They've been talking to manufacturers, and there are also a bunch of manufacturers creating headsets and controllers that will be available in the fall as well. We didn't really see the 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 headset. Yeah, they don't have one. That's why. Just uh, like a blueprint of a yeah. sketch. <laughs> I, I, they haven't built one. They probably will have a Nexus version, but they're just not ready yeah. to show it yet. We've talked on our other show, Mike Remaster, about VR and how I believe that eventually all VR is going to be mobile. And uh, and I think this shows that Google is also thinking this way, that the screen of the phone that you use every day... So yep. In the future, this is the idea. In the future, the computer is going to be the phone. So from people in the 80s, people in the 90s, the computer was the thing at the desk. People from, you know, the 20 years from now, the computer is going to be the phone. And the phone, it can be the device that you carry around and that you look at. And it's also the device for virtual reality. That's the idea. Um, Well, when you think about it, right, it's way easier to say to somebody, buy this headset and controller for $50 or whatever, then make sure you have a computer that can run this or a PlayStation and then spend another <laughs> wow. $400 or $700 on the headset. Like, yeah. 
this is why mobile VR is probably going to win out this initial run. There's two problems. One is probably temporary, which is uh, can current phones be capable of handling a powerful, no. cre- credible VR experience? The answer is no, because they're saying all the Daydream phones are coming later this year, right? They exactly. can't right now. So that's only getting started. And the second, which is a bigger problem, we still don't know the answer. Because we're really just getting started with VR. We've been talking about VR since like four years, since the Oculus Kickstarter campaign. But we're really starting to get VR today in practice. The, the, the biggest problem, which we still don't know the answer for, is, is VR socially acceptable? Is it going to be a thing? Or is it going to be, you know, a fad? And we're going to forget about it. I mean, it's possible. It's cool today. But it's like... If somebody came up with the idea of a you know of a crazy technology like a, I don't know like a like a flying car, and it's totally cool, it's possible, but you you know you're gonna look like a dork or you're gonna you're, there's a risk of dying just because it's possible doesn't mean that it's gonna take off. You know that's my my idea of VR is possible. Maybe it's great today. Are we sure it's going to take off, it's going to be accepted by people, and it's going to be normal in the future? We still don't know. No idea. Yeah, it, it, will, will we get over the social awkwardness of a screen on our face? We don't know yet. But yeah. all I know is the very limited like experience I've had with VR is I want it all in my life. Right? Like, I want it <laughs> because it's amazing. So I still don't know. See, you tried the Oculus, I still haven't. I'm looking forward to having, I hope, the PlayStation VR demo units at the GameStop here in Rome, maybe sometime in the next few months. Uh, that's what I'm hoping to get. It's or maybe when, when I'm in San Francisco, someone... So this is an open call to our uh, listeners, friends of the show. If you happen to have an Oculus Rift in San Francisco during the week of WWDC, please let me try one. Oh, there'll be tons of companies that have them. So yeah, if you have one in an office that's close to Moscone or something like that, (laughs) send us an email or get in contact with Federico. We want to come and see it. (laughs) Really, Federico wants to try one. Uh, Thank you. I would really appreciate that. And again, uh, we can exchange, we can trade. Uh, you let me try the Oculus and I buy you coffee. Yeah, so someone's going to, they're, they're going to be there. So we just need to find the place. Okay, awesome. Android Wear 2.0 was the next part. Mm. So um, something mm. I didn't know, but there was a limitation between what custom watch faces and custom complications could be paired together. That's now been taken away. All custom watch faces can show custom complications. That's great. Um, it's weird that it couldn't do that, but you know what? I wish I could get custom watch faces. So, like, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. swings and roundabouts. Um, you can, one thing that I really like, you can get a message and you can draw with your finger a response. I know it's kind of ridiculous, but sometimes. <laughs> I don't really get it. Sometimes you could be out in the street and you don't want to talk into your watch. But if I mm, could just say, if yeah. I can just draw and say what I want to say, because a lot of the time the smart quick replies aren't necessarily going to answer the question that is being asked of me there are some times where oh like i would get like a slack message where someone says oh are you going to be around today what time and i could just say i'll be like just say 4 p.m that i would like to be able to do that i know it's kind of ridiculous but shouldn't you just use your phone at that point Sure, but what if I don't want to, right? Like, the, the whole point of me having oh, this yeah, watch... Yeah. The, but the whole point of me having this watch is to use the watch. What's the point of me seeing something and then going to get my phone out? I might as well just never had the watch in the first place. I get, I mean, between the ridiculous keyboard that they showed and handwriting recognition, 
And, you know... The keyboard was, is insane. No, it doesn't really make sense. I can't understand how the keyboard can work. I just cannot understand that. But the handwriting recognition, great. Let's go. For yeah, it. I mean, between the two, handwriting all the way. And uh, and I think maybe if you accept that, even the, the way that the, the screen kind of uh, moves horizontally to follow handwriting and to, to transcribe what you're drawing, I think it's also kind of cute. Yeah. I just, maybe I don't see the appeal, but once you, uh, you explain that and I kind of get it, maybe. But I feel like for me the where two was the uh, was the weakest announcement of the show. I think there's just less there. I mean, but it yeah. did have a couple of things that I would like the Apple Watch to do. So the keyboard entry, they said about the, the ability for uh, Android Wear devices to automatically start tracking fitness stuff. I would like the Apple Watch to be able to do that. Like the Apple Watch doesn't know I'm exercising until I tell it. See, that's uh, one of my one of my. Problems with the Apple Watch, because I remember that a couple of years ago, Apple bought this company that they had this technology to, with a wearable device, to automatically uh, detect what type of workout you were doing. And I had big hopes for the Apple Watch to have this feature, which is you don't have to go to the workout app and to say, look, I'm, I'm about to do, you know, running or I'm about to do whatever it is people do with at the gym uh it's just the watch recognizes what you're doing and uh, i really wanted to have that and maybe in the future uh but uh, you know automatic uh, workout recognition that's you know it i think it's a really great feature for a wearable device because it's just natural you know it's like having a personal trainer with you that says look i see you're doing that good job instead it's a wearable device that you that you have on your wrist and it tells you you know, you don't have to open an app and say what you're about to do. I can just keep track of that automatically. Mm-hmm. I think that's really smart. I think that should be that should happen with the with the watch too in the future. You know, there's also a lot of stuff about decoupling the watch. So apps on Android Wear 2.0. See, I think this was big, but they didn't spend enough time on it. Um, the apps can be standalone. They can run on a the device. They're able to connect to Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, and cellular where it's supported on their own and do their own stuff. That's what we all want with uh, WatchOS. And Android Wear 2 has got it. Maybe we're going to get it in WatchOS 3. I think we will. But I think that they just, they basically just ran through this section. Um, and if they, and I expect there's actually a lot more interesting stuff in there than they gave away because they had something pretty big and weird to get to. Yeah. I mean, the, the watch was fast. And um, I'm sure we'll spend more time talking about it leading up to June. But. For me, like part of the idea of having the watch is like something simple. Like if I'm out mowing the yard, I can leave my phone inside and still, you know, get text messages and respond and, and do that sort of stuff. And it just doesn't it just doesn't work. And so I think there's a lot of opportunity for Apple to to look at what this is doing and maybe improve on it in some areas. I agree that the keyboard text thing is a little weird, but across the board I would like to be able to text like type to my devices like ask Siri a question by typing like I think Apple has a lot of work to do there but I think maybe we're finally seeing like smart watches kind of finally become their own thing as opposed to just a satellite device and that that's pretty exciting to me the last thing that uh, Google announced was Android instant apps this is a big one this is very strange. It is basically the next evolution of deep linking. Because yes. what it's doing is deep linking, but maybe to an app that you don't have installed. 
mm-hmm. Google, so you'll get a link to something like they used uh, like a BNH, BNH photo and somebody sent them a link to the store or they, it was in a Google search and they clicked it. Instead of it going to BNH's website, it took them to the application. So the Google Play Store jumps into the middle and just downloads the piece of the application that you need right at that second. Basically, Google is saying goodbye to the web. Yes. Um, Developers need to modularize their applications, but they say that it's not a ton of work. They said it's a day of work. Well, you know, and it said, depending on how complex your app is, okay? So it's seven months of work. Um, You can then, when you're in the application, they also show like BuzzFeed videos. So somebody sent them a BuzzFeed link. They opened it. It opened the BuzzFeed video app. And then there was an install button. So you could then install the application if you wanted to. And the way that they described it was your app will be on just, it would be just a tap away on a billion devices, which is a very, uh, as a very tasty proposition right Mm. um i actually think looking at this and looking at deep linking on ios i see that the potential for apple to do this as well why would they not do this i feel like there's a fundamental uh fork in the road maybe for links and the web on mobile devices because we're at the point where the functionality of native apps and the integration with the hardware is so ahead of what is possible to do with a mobile web app. So we're talking about integration with payment systems, NFC on Android, um, native assistants. Said about NFC, that something that was really cool is like instead of downloading like a parking meter application, yep. you just hold it up to the parking meter and it just downloads the necessary parts for that yep. specific parking meter and just plays it. Like that was cool. Yeah. So we're at the point where native apps have all of this functionality that is completely or mostly cut off from the mobile web, which also happens to be slow and to quite frankly suck these days. Uh, so the the idea here is we're using the web and we're using links as the backbone for identification of content, but we're actually redirecting users to the superior na- uh, native app experience. And how do we make that better? By splitting up apps in different portions um, and you let the OS take care of the content that you need to see and in just maybe a couple of seconds, instead of having to wait for a web page and having fewer functionalities than a native app, you're shown just that bit of a native app that you need to see to engage and interact with content. And I feel like it's the, it's the next logical step for any kind of deep linking, which is you remove the, the overhead of users having to go to the app store, download the app, and then open the app, maybe sign up, and then eventually get to the content. Instead, you use the link and you use the deep link to bring up a na- uh, an instant app, a native app, that has all of the features that you expect. So native sharing, uh, maybe assistant integration, payment integration, so you don't have to you know, uh, insert all of your details again. And at that point, uh, you know, it becomes clear that there's going to be maybe a future where HTML and JS are you know, 
on the web are just fallback options and they're mostly used for to provide hierarchy to provide you know directions but all of the content that we're looking for is native code and it's native app content I don't know how I feel about this, you know, especially because I write on a website. Uh, maybe that's going to be okay, you know. Uh, but it's just um, we're at the point where the 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 native apps are have so many more integrations than mobile websites. So many more native features that people expect that it just it seems obvious to me. And uh, looking at what Apple is doing with uh, universal linking on-demand resources on the Apple TV, which is the idea of, you know, splitting up apps in, in bits and pieces and uh, tvOS can get the, get those pieces on demand. It's not too crazy to think that in eventually, maybe not iOS 10, maybe iOS 11, uh, you use universal linking and on-demand resources, maybe the next evolution of that technology to, to have something like instant apps on iOS as well. I think it's, uh, both companies are approaching the same problem from, from two different perspectives, but the end goal, I feel like it's the same. One thing that I'm struggling with with this is the data required to download the section of the application would surely be larger than the data required to access well, the website. Well, it depends, right? <laughs> there are some websites well, yeah. that can ask you for over 10 megabytes of data, or maybe, you know, 12, 15, mm-hmm. I've seen also. So uh, it's, it's, a, it's a problem that kind of mirrors the current state of the web. Uh, it's so, so, you know, it's so slow and so, you know, confusing, and it doesn't have all of, all of the features of native apps. I do understand why, why Google is doing this. I mean, even if you look... You should have seen this coming, right? Because Google has been thinking about this deep linking problem for longer than Apple. Uh, they've done uh, in the past, you know, that, that feature where uh, you, look, you look up something on Google search like a recipe and you're given a Google Play result and you click that and in a bunch of steps uh, you're taken to a newly installed app and into that content. That is sort of the ancestor of instant apps on Android. But I feel like... Apple has all of the starting at least to get all of the pieces of the same puzzle together um, because there's just an advantage of tapping a link and being taken into a native app instead of a website. For as great as Safari is on iOS, I and I can I buy the argument that sometimes universal links can be annoying because you actually want to be in the browser but in most cases i do like the fact that you know i tap on a link to a tweet and i'm taken into the twitter app or i tap a link to spotify and i'm taken into the spotify app instead of the the web preview i do like that and maybe there should be a way to make it easier for people to be shown this content honestly if done well uh, with respect to you know to bandwidth to data to uh, you know letting people choose what they want to do letting developers choose what they want to do I don't see any disadvantages if only you know setting aside the philosophical problem maybe that uh, web links should always go to a website but I feel like we're uh, we're past that stage and uh, you know the the ship has sailed metaphorically uh, i don't i don't get that argument like web links should go to a website like web links should go to wherever the owner of that web link wants it to go yeah yeah that's the way i look at it right like if twitter decides they want it to go to their app great if they don't they just don't implement it yeah they own the website yes steven take it up do you disagree with that i feel like if anyone's gonna disagree with that it might be yes 
I do disagree with that to a, to a degree. I think that there should be some limit of some type of user control there that uh, I can, you know, uh, choose to a to some degree what I want to happen when I tap on a link because the the worst thing we've all done this is you tap on a link because you need it to be in one place or the other and it does like the wrong thing and on iOS there's no recourse for that like I guess I can uninstall the Twitter app so it stops doing it but I think that there should be some sort of um some sort of options built around that um, and I think that if if this is where we're headed and definitely seems that that's the case to a degree that there should be some sort of um, expectation set around what developers should do with that and how they should be handled. And, you know, a lot of times we see, uh, like, universal links, these deep links, like, acting in unexpected ways sometimes. And, of course, you know, the big one is people will throw one up to, like, launch the App Store as, like, part of spam type stuff. And, like, that... um, There should be some preventative measures there to keep it from being abused. But, um, I mean, I, I like the open web. I, I don't, I'm not particularly in love with the philosophical argument that we should all be moved into silo apps. But I cannot argue with your point that it is markedly a better experience, especially when it comes to payment, right? Like those examples they used, for the most part, were around payment, where I feel like if I can be in an app and use Apple Pay, then that uh, is inherently more secure than, you know, giving a website my credit card number. Yep. yep. And uh, I don't think Apple's going to open Apple Pay to the web in, in a way that would be useful. So there are trade-offs there, but I, I would hope for some sort of middle ground as far as expectations and control. So, guys, you know, I've been I've been thinking about the Google I.O. announcements, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen there's lots of interesting stuff happening. And, I mean, we're all Google users, uh, to a degree, uh, we're using Google Apps, we're using Google services. And I've been thinking, um, you know, I do love the iOS ecosystem and uh, I do love the App Store and I, and I feel like there's nothing like the iOS App Store. But I feel like I should be, I was thinking like I should be more knowledgeable about uh, technology in general. Like I've been writing for seven years about Apple, and but I'm interested in technology in general and I do have lots of other devices not made by Apple. Um so I was thinking last night, like, there's, there's especially, you know, ahead of my iOS 10 review this year, like, I was thinking I should do more to, to know more about what's going on outside of the Apple ecosystem. And um, so I've done something last night, and uh, I bought an Android phone. <laughs> 